0: Have you ever had an experience that made you say, that was not a coincidence, uh, that was not random, that had to have been God? I hope we can say that a lot, but I, I could actually use up a, a lot of our time uh, recounting such experiences in my life, but if I could use or focus on just one, it would be the fact that today, I actually live in Agassiz, I pastor our campus there, and I am preaching to you today. may not sound that unusual, but all of this is really nothing short of miraculous. I I have no doubt, uh, friends, that God is very much active and so real because after a very personal and hurtful uh, ministry experience uh, during which I burned out, I told God that I didn't ever want to do this again. Um, I didn't want to be involved in ministry and and I made it clear to him that unless he dumped an opportunity into my lap, I was not interested. You see, I literally told him that I would not look for another church to pastor, ever. (laughs) But through a series of events that I describe as very miraculous, in answer to the prayers of actually three different groups of people all independent of one another, unknown to one another. God led me and my wife uh, to Agassiz, and then to Central Community Church, and the rest is, as they say, history. That was just over seven years ago, and when I recall the circumstances and the events surrounding that time, that first year of ministry here at Central, it just gives me goosebumps when I think about God's goodness, his faithfulness, and a very powerful move of his Holy Spirit. And what that experience did for me, and what it does for me uh, in an ongoing way, was it deepened my faith and my trust. uh, Not only in God, but actually in people. And it gave me a resilience that I didn't have before. It gave me, and here's a simple definition of what uh, I mean by resilience it gave me the ability to withstand or to recover quickly or maybe more quickly from very difficult conditions. So last week, Pastor Matt introduced uh, a new series that we began called Resilient Disciples where we are asking the question, how do we, as individuals, as families, as a church, um, disciple each other towards resilience, towards the ability to withstand or recover quickly from extremely difficult cultural conditions that the Bible describes as Babylon, where it says we live as exiles, we are strangers. And not just any Babylon, but a digital Babylon described in detail by the authors of of this new book here that we have that our staff has been exploring called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in a Digital Babylon. Now I'm gonna refer to this book uh, quite a few times today. The authors, uh, they write this. Our contention is that today's society is especially and insidiously faith repellent. Certainly God's people have weathered hostile seasons in the past, church history reminds us that living faithfully has never been easy. But our research shows that resilient faith is tougher to grow today using the cultivation methods we relied on throughout the 20th century. This leads to our central claim in faith in exiles, that young non-Christians are avoiding Christianity and young Christians are abandoning the church. However, by cultivating five practices, we can form and be formed into disciples of Jesus who thrive as exiles in digital Babylon. And they go on to say, our research shows us that, in fact, in the the face of a coercive, spirit-depleting, screen-obsessed society, cultivating the following five practices helps form a resilient faith. So these are the practices, experiencing Jesus, cultural discernment, meaningful relationships, vocational discipleship, and counter-cultural mission. And we're gonna look at those in the coming weeks, but today, it's my task to focus on experiencing intimacy with Jesus. The key word there is the word experiencing. You see, here's the reality. Our culture, this digital Babylon, so to speak, is a pluralistic, accelerated, frenetic, diverse, open-source, complex, and bittersweet, idol-filled place where faith is definitely not at the center. It's where the Bible is one of many voices that interpret human experience and is no longer viewed as the central authority over people and society. We live in a time and a place characterized by rampant skepticism about Christianity and the Bible, hyper-rationalism and pop culture atheism undercut belief. And so within this reality, the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. And so the place to start is by experiencing intimacy with Jesus. I would say similar to what I experienced seven years ago and many times throughout my life. Now, this doesn't mean that the Bible is not important. In fact, today's research says that today's 18 to 23-year-old resilient Christians firmly believe in the authority of the Bible, and they fully embrace its central claims. But given the reality of the culture we live in that I just described, we need to know and experience that he is real. And when we do, when we experience that vibrant life in the spirit, I want to refer to what Pastor Matt pointed out uh, last week. You see Canada here, we have 9% of people who responded to the survey, young adults who say that they are actually resilient or would prove that by their answers compared to Nigeria, uh, sorry, Kenya, which is 41%. So when we disciple people towards a vibrant life in the spirit, intimacy with Jesus, we want to see this 9%, the small green become a little bit more like this one. That's the goal. So how do we do this? The book of 1 Peter was written to exiles. In fact, it uses that very word in chapter 1 and verse 1. In a time and a place when it was really hard to follow Jesus like it is now. And Peter had some things to say then which definitely apply today. Things that will help us experience intimacy with Jesus. So let's go to the text that was already read for us. And let's just talk about three things this morning that I think will form an experiential intimacy with Jesus. Number one. Intimacy with Jesus happens when we experience the joy of a new identity. So Peter begins this little section in our text today this way. He says, in this you rejoice. What is this? Well, Peter is referring to what he wrote in the preceding three verses, where in a very uh, short yet powerful way he addresses actually five major doctrines in the Bible. He talks about the deity of Jesus Christ. He talks about salvation, the resurrection of Christ, the eternal state, and the end times. Three verses, all of which and more form the basis of our identity and inform the way we ought to live our lives as these so-called elect exiles that he talks about. So exile says this, we are bombarded in digital Babylon with unprecedented force and frequency, uh, and frequency by conflicting chaotic messages about what matters and how to live. The latest blog post, the newest music, the most popular television show, and even the news all do their best, le- level best to convince us that we should care and, and what we should do about it, to buy something, usually. These messages are constantly changing. So the author says, we must anchor our search for identity in something deeper and truer. And so, many of us, we turn to our devices, right, to help us make sense of the world. Uh, Young people, especially, use the screens in their pockets as counselors, as entertainers, as instructors, and even as sex educators, that's scary. Why build up the courage to have what will likely be a very awkward conversation with a parent, with a pastor, with a teacher, when you can just ask your phone and no one else will be the wiser. But real questions are being answered that I don't think the phone can answer. Look at the questions that are being answered today. These come from the survey. These are the questions. Who am I really? Where do I find my truest self? How should I live in today's world? Do my choices matter? Am I loved? Who are my friends? Does anyone care about me? Does life matter? Am I made for something? Can I make a difference? What really matters? What counts for a life well lived? And so resilient disciples, they, they actually accept and they they act on orthodox beliefs about jesus and they allow the scriptures to form their identity and to inform their behavior and to answer their questions and and peter wrote in this in this you rejoice listen to what uh, resilient disciples uh, how they answered when it comes to uh, this area of experiencing jesus Uh, actually the second highest percentage says, my relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction. But it's easy to say that uh, you're a Christian. So on the next uh, graph that we have here of the people that were surveyed, actually it didn't matter if they were uh, categorized as resilient disciples, habitual churchgoers, or Uh, completely unchurched, nomads, all of them said, do you consider yourself to be a Christian? Absolutely, 100%. But when I got more specific about what a follower of Jesus looks like or what a Christian actually is, a resilient disciple still scored high, but the others are dropping off a little bit. But listen what happens to when it comes to joy. It's easy to say you're a Christian, but less common to find joy in Jesus. So when it comes down to these things, I believe living in relationship with Jesus is the only way to find fulfillment in life. My relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction. Following Jesus shapes my whole life, body, mind, heart, and soul. And my relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live my life every day. Those who are not resilient, that's the, uh, the, the yellow and the blue here, they drop way off. But resilient disciples are actually the ones who experience joy based on this new identity. So here's the reality related to these statistics. The author wrote, screens promise more connectedness, but as researcher Jean Twenge has shown, loneliness, depression, and anxiety among teens have risen along widespread adaptation of the smartphone. This is the area Uh, era of I-self, and many young people are crippled by FOMO, which means a fear of missing out. Not to mention the fear of making the wrong choice, the fear of disappointing people close to them, the fear of living a substandard life. Talk about anxiety. No wonder so many live depleted, shallow lives, huddled behind their screens, consuming personalized content in a futile effort to fill the void. So intimacy with Jesus happens when we experience the true joy that comes from an identity in Jesus. I saw a quote the other day on social media from Alicia Bruxvort from Proverbs 31 Ministries who said, let's choose to believe we are who God says we are. That's the first thing we need to do. Second, intimacy with Jesus happens when we endure the grief of testing by trial. Peter goes on to say this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that appears, though it is tested by fire, gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Endure. You see, we live in a character that is... Uh, that is characterized and marked by instant everything. We have instant messaging, we have instant pay, instant tellers, instant ordering, instant camera, instant pot, instant food such as noodles, instant potatoes, oatmeal, rice, instant coffee. Yuck. Uh, Instant gratification. That's our culture. So how do we not only endure, which is a relatively foreign word today, but endure trials and testing when all we want are lives that are marked by ease and comfort. The biblical language here means that when we go through this, we are actually qualified. Our faith becomes more resilient through testing. A man named Orison Marden said, success is not measured by what you accomplish, but by the opposition you have encountered and the courage with which you have maintained the struggle against overwhelming odds. This is an experience that, Peter wrote, results in praise, glory, and honor to God. In a culture marked not only by instant gratification, but self-glorification, The authors of this book say the Babylon of the Bible is characterized as a culture set against the purposes of God, a human society that glories in pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. So these two things alone, coming through trial by enduring, and then giving God the glory for it, they result in a deeply resilient faith. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote that God's power is experienced. <laughs> it is actually experienced more in our lives in times of weakness, affliction, and persecution and everything that this digital Babylon culture can throw at us. So let's go back to the chart. What does this resilience look like? We already talked about joy, but the, the one that actually has the highest percentage here is uh, resilient Christians said that worship for them is a lifestyle, not just an event. And I want to say that the greatest opportunity that we have to truly worship God with our lives, with our whole being, is when we can give him praise and honor and glory in the midst of suffering and trial. Number three, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter goes on to say intimacy with Jesus happens when we expect the hopeful outcome of our faith. He goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary you have been grieved by many trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mentioned a a little earlier the many fears and stresses and anxieties that most young people and adults, I I dare say, I have them, are crippled by today. But the one that struck me was FOMO, uh, the fear of missing out. Here's here's the reality. A a resilient disciple doesn't have that fear. They have hope. They have the hope that one day Jesus will be revealed (laughs) and a whole new culture will emerge that will have made enduring this one all worthwhile. There is no fear of missing out. There is only the expectation of what is to come. And that, friends, is what we must disciple people towards. Exiles in digital Babylon sometimes have a love-hate relationship with the place. Like the feeling you have when visiting a, a big noisy city in another country, it's intoxicating, and exhausting. The complexity can both can be both fascinating and repellent. Those who love Jesus often feel this tension deeply. We truly appreciate what our society has to offer, yet we, we can't help but long for something more safe, more comfortable, a place that feels like home. And I wanna say that home, friends, is not here. Here we are strangers and exiles, that home Is yet to come and this is why identity is so important one author said the the historical fact of the resurrection has huge implications for your life and your future if Jesus died was buried and then raised by God it means that one day those who believe in him will and have died will be raised by God to eternal life that's huge Nicky Gumbel tells this story. He said there was a woman who lived on the streets near our church. That's Holy Trinity, Brompton, in London. Uh, She would ask for money and would react aggressively to those who refused to give her money. When she died, Gumbel says, "I took the funeral." I discovered afterwards that this woman had inherited a large fortune. She had acquired a luxurious flat and many valuable paintings, but she chose to live on the streets with her plastic bags full of rubbish. She could not bring herself to leave behind the life she knew, and she never enjoyed her inheritance. Listen, intimacy with Jesus and the resulting resilience that it produces in our lives can be ours when we enjoy our inheritance, when we look forward to the hopeful outcome of our faith. This is what we need to disciple people towards. So let me reread the whole text that was read at the beginning of our service, and I want you to see three tenses that are used, which are actually repeated two times. So the whole text says this, In this you rejoice, that's the past, though now, present, For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's future. Verse eight. Though you have not seen him, the past, you love him. Though you do not now see him, the present, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, future, the salvation of your souls. I I, I point this out because I want you to see the holistic approach to life that resilient Christians have. They have a big picture, the past, the present, and the future. They can live with joy because of the past and their identity in Jesus, what they already have, then they can live with confidence in the present and they can live with hope for the future. You see, our culture, for the most part, lives for the here and now only. And that's why there is so little resilience. You see, these days, what happened a century ago, you know, like back in March, is, is not only old, but it's ancient. Listen, three months going back to March is nothing it is a drop in a very very large bucket and and if we don't take the long view and have the big picture we will crumble we serve a god and follow a god who was and who is and who is to come and resilience is formed when we can look back and learn from the past and celebrate that and we can live confidently in the future and we can long and hope, live in the present and we can long and hope for a wonderful future. When we build on the faithful foundation of those who came before, stand on the sure promises of God and engage the mission of God despite opposition and learn how to endure hardship, when we can set our sights on what is to come, and not on what is going on around us all the time, which tends to distract and discourage and even destroy us. Then we will develop resilience to keep us grounded, connected, firm, and help us move forward in life in this culture that will throw everything it can at us. But the big question is, how do we do this? How do we make resilient disciples? What are some cult, believe me, they're countercultural. What are some countercultural practices we can form to, to shape resilient disciples of Jesus who will experience this intimacy with Him, this joy, this endurance, this hope? I want to go through a bunch really quickly. Number one, we need to create safe spaces. Remember all the questions I referred to lately that especially young adults and, and teens have these days? We need to create spaces where they can ask those questions where they can express doubt, where they can be skeptical, where we can build trust. We gotta work hard at that. Secondly, we need to start early. We need to invest heavily in children's, youth, and young adult ministry, not while ignoring the rest, but but believe me, the rest of us who are out of that stage of life That will be our ministry and we will grow and we will become more resilient when we invest in the upcoming generations. And I wanna say this, a special note to those who are 55 plus, I'm just about there. Please, please volunteer and give your lives to children's ministry, to student ministry, teens and young adults. They need you. They need you desperately. And we as a church need you. But starting early also starts at home because you, parents, are the disciples, the primary disciples of your kids. Teach your kids, as Deuteronomy 6 says, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, and when you rise. Number three, use FaceTime. And I'm not talking about now your iPad or your phone. I'm talking about actual FaceTime relationships. We need face-to-face encounters with one another. I read the other day that in, in the UK, millennials spend... An average of six and a half hours per day on social media. And it says they have more friends, but loneliness is pervasive. We must engage our younger generation in meaningful mentor relationships. The authors say in digital Babylon, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one life at a time and in fact some of the things that are helpful in digital babylon as we disciple uh, i want to drop to the third one is don't try to create programs to attract resilient disciples partner with them we need to find a timothy in whom we can invest in and pass along our faith and and younger people we need to find you need to find a paul from whom you can learn Nicky Gumbel back to him, he said, as with so many, I would say that every major strategic step or decision I have made has been inspired and encouraged, not from a pulpit in a crowd of thousands, but rather by someone within arm's reach. The power of digital tools and the content they deliver are incredible. And we are the first generations of humans who actually don't need to rely on the earned wisdom of previous generations to help us live with these rapid technological changes. Instead of older adults and traditions, many young people just turn to friends and sadly, algorithms. And we need to reverse this. Number four, allow trouble. Don't shelter your kids from trouble. If your relationship with them is tight as as the last point, they will not only survive, they'll become more resilient. Let them experience hardship, but walk the journey with them because our roots go deeper when we experience the wind of resistance. Parents, they actually, naturally, I've done it, we want to shelter our kids, but I want to say don't do it. Let them face it, but face it with them. And what we find the research says, confirms what Christianity's long history records, the roots of faithfulness often sink deeper in anxious, unsettled times. Faith can grow even and sometimes especially in the darkest of places. Number five, redirect screen time. Pastor Matt showed us last week just how much Uh, Young adults these days or young people use uh, their screens, how many hours per year they spend on it compared to pursuing spiritual things, let alone Christianity. And and the book says screens demand our attention, screens disciple. In fact, they said millennials would rather give up their sense of smell than their smartphone. And so we need to leverage screen time. We need to encourage the the use of screens for things like online services like we're doing right now. Apps that will point them toward Jesus, media that will point them towards being discipled uh, in a Christian way, not a cultural way. I'm, uh, as you can tell, I'm still a little bit old school. I, uh, I actually have paper notes, although I did this on a laptop. I didn't handwrite it; that would be really old school. But um, I'm embracing technology more and more. In fact, at the prompting of my sister, we are using Uversion Bible app to have devotions as siblings and our spouses, which is really cool. And it has really deepened my intimacy with Jesus because I'm held accountable and I'm actually spurred on to some really cool things, uh, experiences. I could tell you a lot, my, my sister's amazing, but she encourages me and holds me accountable to what I've heard in God's word and implemented into my life. So let's not fight technology, let's embrace it. Number six, we need to embrace on the flip side, downtime. The authors say, how do we find the rabbit hole that leads to real worthwhile wisdom for living well and following Jesus in an accelerated complex culture? In other words, how do we experience intimacy with Jesus in this fast-paced frenetic Babylon? Uh, We can only do it when we actually step out of the traffic. Uh, You see, refreshing dew only forms when the wind dies down in stillness. And so we need to literally unplug from time to time. We need to go to places where there's no data, no Wi-Fi, or internet access, or cell phone service. We need to have device-free meals as a family. We need to have screen-free playtime and connecting time for relationships. And we need to plan for those things, but we also need to make them spontaneous, especially when it comes to things like family devotions. Make it fun, spontaneous, but be intentional. Digital Babylon, the book says, is not a physical space, but it is the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with Wi-Fi, a data plan, or for most of us, both. And they go on to say, we must, like Daniel and his comrades, learn the habits of devotion, and we can only do that when we have some downtime. We only cultivate uh, this uh, openness with God intentionally by having what is called Godward rhythms that open us up to his voice and his work in our lives. And a lot of it coming, of course, the way he speaks to us through scripture. We need to form habits so that we have a heartfelt expectation that God will meet with us and speak to us. For me personally, when I get up in the morning, and, a, and, a, and, a, and if I first check my email or my text messages or social media and then I watch a little bit of the news, the chances of me actually hearing from God, listening to him, uh, hearing him speak, and me uh, speaking to him goes way, way down. And that's not good. Next, we need to leverage FOMO, the fear of missing out uh Because the beauty of living with expectant hope is that there is no fear of missing out. A.W. Tozer said, a scared world, there's a lot of fear out there these days, a scared world needs a fearless church. Let's be fearless. Number eight, invest heavily. I always tell couples that I uh, counsel for pre-marriage, I say, you know what, whatever it is you're planning to spend on your wedding day, which is like one day, take that budget literally cut it in half and invest the rest in your marriage, which is every day. Go on retreats, marriage conferences, go on dates, travel together, uh, retreat. The average cost of a wedding, by the way, these days is it's going to blow your mind. It's between thirty-five and $40,000. And I say we would have a lot of great marriages and families if we would invest that kind of money. We need to do the same as a family. We gotta, I think, sign up for the smaller mortgage and rather go, for, go, on, go on trips, do some fishing together, buy a boat, buy some tickets to the ball game, go hunting, buy camping gear, whatever it takes to invest. Those are not expenses, those are investments in relationship in order to make resilient disciples of the upcoming generation. Number nine, we need to create an environment that is conducive to meaningful spiritual experiences. Uh, at home and in the church where Jesus is experienced. <laughs> uh, uh, don't rely uh, and expect the church alone to bring intimacy with Jesus. One of my most powerful and, and, and meaningful uh, experiences in Christian community where I experienced God and the Holy Spirit in, in the most powerful way really came at an evening uh, on my first night in the college dorm. is powerful, we need to create those and work hard at home and in the church to make them fun, to speak well of the church, to create stability through uh, uh, longevity in one place. Next, we need to serve. Serving keeps us connected, it deepens our faith. The reality is, is if you're not serving, you're not growing, you're not becoming a resilient disciple. And we need to keep young people connected through serving, especially when it is linked to a cause. Look at, look at all of the protests and rallies that's happening all around us today. Who's, who's there? It's young people. And they're not just there and joining the cause. They're organizing them and they're leading them. Let them organize. Let them lead. Let them defend the cause of the gospel and of the kingdom. The authors of this book say millennials and Gen Z are often more willing to be challenged than we are willing to challenge them. So we need to do that. Next, we need to pray. Oh, we need to pray. God delights in prayers. History, the course of history is changed through intercession. We can shape Our generation through prayer, we can influence the course of history. Saint John of Chrysostom said this, prayer is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions extinguish wars appease the elements expel demons burst the chains of death expanded the gates of heaven assuage diseases rescued cities from destruction and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt we need to be on our knees and last persevere keep discipling, even if you think it's not making a difference. And scripture tells us that when we train up children and young adults in the way they should go when they are old, they will not depart from it. That is a promise, and we need to hang on that. And where we feel uh, feel that we have failed, either personally as parents or in a church, we just need to admit that. We need to repent of that. And we need to renew our ways. And I want to say, and I want to encourage you who are listening, especially parents of young children, it is not too late to start. Do something. The place to start is literally to start. I want to close uh, our time here. I've talked long enough by uh, just three quick thoughts at the end of this chapter here. The authors say following Jesus is more than just believing the right things or feeling warm fuzzies about him. Being Christian is more than being on team Jesus. It means that we find the very essence of ourselves at his feet. Experiencing Jesus is entering into a dynamic relationship with him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Experiencing the real Jesus is the starting point and the ending point, the alpha and the omega of resilient faithfulness in digital Babylon. Would you join me as I pray for us? God, I just want to thank you so much for your word and for the opportunity that we have uh, in this generation, in this digital Babylon, to point people to Jesus where they can experience a new identity and have real-life questions answered where we can help them endure in some pretty tough times, and where we can give them hope for a fantastic future. I praise you, God, for the 9% in Canada who are already doing this, and I pray that you would increase it, that we would just run past places like Kenya. But Lord, bless them. God, would you pour out your spirit upon your church that we might disciple and point people to Jesus in the most effective way possible. Lord, we we ask for this and we plead for this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.